You know, every um, statistics that I've been looking at of late is showing how our world is becoming far more anxious than any other time in recent memory. Regardless of the circumstances that do surround us, regardless of all the evidence for worry and anxiety, I am convinced there are people who are going to be anxious even if they have no reason to be anxious. Do you know some of them? I just read this week of how anxiety may well be the most common psychotic malady in the United States of America. I read that 65% of all new prescriptions physicians write are associated with anxiety. Now, I know and you know that some of our anxiety is self-induced. I know and you know that some of our anxiety is self-imposed. I know and you know that some of our anxieties is a lifestyle issue. Let me give you an example. This man was suffering from severe anxiety, and he went to see counseling. And after he told his counselor about his deep, severe anxiety, the counselor said to him, he said, you know what you need to do? You need to get on a plane and go far away to an exotic place, and there sit on the beach Enjoy the sunshine and relax and forget about your troubles. Well, the man said, that won't work. He said, why? He said, I just got back from Hawaii. (laughs) He said, okay, go out and buy yourself a very expensive, luxurious car and drive into the countryside and watch the sunset and enjoy yourself and relax. He said, that won't work either. He said, why? He said, I drive a $150,000 Mercedes. The guy said, finally, said, look, go out and buy a luxury home and just sit and enjoy yourself. And the guy said, that won't work either. He said, why? He said, well, I live in a million-dollar home. He said, now, let me think about this. You just got back from Hawaii. You drive a $150,000 Mercedes. You live in a million-dollar home. Well, what are you anxious about? He said, I make only $100 a week. Well, I told you, some of our anxieties are self-imposed. The truth is that uh, all of us are worry warts in one way or the other. I think all of us worry about something. The question is, what do you do with that anxiety? What do you do with that worry? Will you let it consume you, or will you let it deepen your love for the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you try to tranquilize it? Will you try to sedate it? Will you try to drunk it? Will you try to deny it? Or will you use it as a stepping stone to elevate you into deeper love for Jesus Christ? Now, there are only two choices to deal with anxiety. You either let it destroy you or let it deepen your love for Jesus And you know, that is why the Bible exhorts us so many times, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious. And I'm not going to go through these verses. But every time the Bible says, don't be anxious, immediately goes on to say something else. Don't be anxious, but rather cast your anxiety upon the Lord. Don't be anxious, 
but rather give thanks and praise and adoration to the Lord for all the great things He's done for you. Don't be anxious, but rather remember that He cares for you. Always. Whenever the Bible said, don't be anxious, it tells you what to do with your anxiety. Because the truth is, we all have different reasons for anxiety. We all have different reasons. Someone may not be anxious about money, and another person may be anxious about illness. The person who may not be anxious about his illness or her illness may be worried about their children. Those who may not be worried about their children, they may be anxious about their health. And the varieties of reasons that people become anxious about. We get anxious for different reasons. Well, what causes me anxiety may not cause you anxiety. I remember the time when our kids were teenagers. Some of you already know what I'm going to tell you. Man, I could not go to sleep until I hear that car door shut. And here I am with my eyelids propped open. Can't go to sleep. And no matter what I do, I can't go to sleep. And I look over the other side of the bed. (laughs) And my wife is sound asleep. And I remember one time I said, Lord, I know your word said that you give your beloved sleep. Who am I? Chop liver? <laughs> she must be really beloved of the Lord. In fact, I heard about two mothers of two teenage girls were talking to each other. And one said, I am worried sick with anxiety because my daughter never tells me anything. The other mother said, I am so worried sick with anxiety because my daughter tells me everything. <laughs> So we all have different reasons for anxiety. Let me read to you how a soldier in the army philosophizes about anxiety and worry. Listen to this very carefully. Here's what he said. He said, one of two things is certain. Either you are mobilized or you're not mobilized. If you're not mobilized, there's no need to worry. If you are mobilized, one of two things is certain. Either you're behind the lines, or you are at the front. If you are behind the lines, there's no need to worry. If you are in the front, one of two things is certain. Either you are resting in a safe place, or you are exposed to danger. If you are resting in a safe place, there's no need to worry. If you are exposed to danger, one of two things is certain. (laughs) Either you're wounded, or you're not wounded. If you're not wounded, there's no need to worry. If you are wounded, one of two things is certain. Either you're wounded seriously or you're wounded slightly. If you're wounded slightly, there's no need to worry. If you're wounded seriously, one of two things is certain. Either you recover or you die. If you recover, there's no need to worry. And if you die, you can't worry. I love that. (laughs) And as I thought about the times in which you deepen your love for the Lord Jesus Christ, and we saw that in the times of loneliness are great times to deepen your love for Jesus. Then we saw in the last message that in the times of doubt is a wonderful opportunity for you and me to deepen our love for Jesus. And today I want to tell you about the times of anxieties in our lives as a great time to deepen your love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I looked at this whole issue, 
I found that there are basically three headings under which anxiety comes. All the other forms of anxiety are a branch from one of those three. Anxiety about the future, anxiety about failure, and anxiety about feebleness. Probably this type of anxiety, the future anxiety, is the type of anxiety that has the most candidates. Anxiety about the future, I suspect, has the largest membership enrollment. I'm convinced of that. And it stretches all the way from being anxious on whether you are in the will of God or not, all the way to things like world peace. And everything is in between. I have sat with people through the years who are rich by any standard of measurement. And literally, they sat in my presence are anxious about whether they're going to become destitute and homeless. And that is why worry about the future is irrational. Worry about the future is illogical. Worry about the future is useless. Why? Because you do not know what's going to be coming in the future. And even if you do, most times you have no power to do anything about it anyway. So why? Be anxious. Someone said anxiety is like rocking chair. It's going nowhere, but it gives you something to do. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 and 13. No, I'm not going to talk about him saying, don't be anxious. He says that in that passage, but that's not what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to show you the application of Paul's exhortation about not being anxious. Verse 11, 12, and 13. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said to the Philippians. He said, I have learned. In whatever state I'm in, to be contented. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and want. I can do all things in Him who strengthens me. I thought long and hard about those verses afresh and anew. (laughs) And I said to myself, can I write something like that? Well, I've been in tough times. I've been in situations of hunger and pain. And and I said, yeah, I think I can pull it off. I can write something like that. If I'm sitting on a Mediterranean sipping iced tea, I could do it. But could I do it in prison? I asked myself the question. Well, you know, I may be able to pull some spiritual muscles if I'm in an American prison with a comfortable bed, color television, air-conditioned library that I can go to. I think I may be able to pull it off. But I'm going to tell you something. Listen carefully. I do not believe for a moment that I could have written those words if I had been sitting in that miserable, cold, dark, wet, damp, mice-infested Roman dungeon. Because that's where Paul was when he wrote these words. You see, it's a lot easier to write like that when you're not suffering. He was in the worst kind of a prison that you can think of. What is Paul saying? Listen carefully. Hear me right on this one. Here's what he's saying. He said, look, I am not worried about the future because my future is in God's hand. 
And from my first-hand experience with God, I know that I can trust Him to take care of me. Paul is saying, I cannot worry about the future. I will not worry about the future. Why? Because my future is in God's hand. And I have learned from first-hand experience that in all things, God weaves my, the strains of my life into making a beautiful tapestry of His purpose. I am not afraid of the future. Why? Because my future is in God's hand. And I have learned that He loves me and that His love for Him, I cannot comprehend its depth, its width, its height, and its breadth. And therefore, I'm not worried about the future. You know, I, want, I thought again about this, and I want to come clean with you. And I thought, I said, am I worried about the future? Did some self-examination. I always do before I bring you a message. And I said, yeah. Probably my anxiety about the future personally can be summarized in two words. Finishing well. Finishing well. Whenever I hear of a preacher falling, whenever I hear of a preacher wandering away from the faith, whenever I hear of a preacher or a ministry has failed because of moral issues or whatever it is, for a moment or two, that's about all as long as it, I can handle it, <laughs> for a moment or two I become anxious. And then immediately I say, Lord, am I going to finish well? And the Lord immediately takes me to His promises. And I began to claim the promise of God that He who began a good work in me is able to bring it to completion to the glory of Christ Jesus. I begin to focus on how God Himself wants me to finish well as long as I stand close to Him and walk with Him. And in those moments, my love for Jesus Christ grows in far deeper way. I sense the embrace of God in a way that I cannot describe to you in words. And I believe the same thing for you, my beloved friends. I believe God wants you to take those anxious moments and turn them around into claiming of the promises of God. And that moment, it deepens your love for Jesus Christ. Then there is the anxiety about failure. Let me tell you at the outset, I'm an expert on failure. I really am. I am qualified to write a book on failure, and I will one of these days. I will. And here is what I've learned from failure. Look, if you've never experienced failure, I pity you because you'll never value success. I really do. I have learned from failure. Listen to me. I have learned that you can let anxiety over failure, either to paralyze you or to drive you. You can let anxiety over failure either be your teacher or be your undertaker. You can let anxiety about failure either to be a detour or a dead-end street. God has permitted a series of failures in my life And I believe not only that He may instruct me, in order that He may teach me, in order that He may humble me, I believe that He allowed these series of failures so that I can share my experience with you, that I can testify to the Lord through my failure. When I was um, completing my high school certificate, and this was sort of the beginning of the school of failure that I entered into, I was about 18 years old, 
And when I was about to complete my high school certificate, two weeks prior to the national examination, and this is a big thing where I come from. It's a big thing. Do you know why? 20% of all who enter the national examination for high school certificate make it to university. The competition is fierce. 20%. They don't have colleges where you do cooking and, and agriculture and all those nice things. But, I mean, you got, you know, there are just so many places in university. And less than 20% of all those who enter the high school examination make it. Two weeks prior to the examination, I was struck with typhoid. And therefore, I went to the examination room with a temperature between 103 or 104. I passed the examination, but wasn't good enough to go to university. There are no other options. So I had to repeat what we call here the senior year. I had to go back to school and go to repeat my senior year. For one solid year, listen to me, every single morning and every single afternoon, as I am dressed in the high school uniform, I am facing all my friends heading the other way to the university, into medical school, into engineering school, and all the different schools of the university. And one of the sad part is that we lived, our house was very close to the university, so I couldn't avoid them. And I has them every morning and every afternoon I go by. I say hello to my friends who are going to the university and I'm going back to high school. Every morning and every afternoon. And I go through that pain of why did this happen? But then toward the middle of the school year, God began to teach me to pray. Every single day during that year, I prayed Lord, please use my failure as a springboard, not as a ditch. Lord, use my failure as a springboard, not as a ditch. And since that time, I have faced so many failures. But listen to me. God more than answered my prayers. And instead of developing anxiety about failure, I have learned to love the Lord Jesus Christ in the times of anxiety. Whatever failure that you might be facing right now, whatever failure that you will be facing, whatever failure that you have faced in your life, listen to me, do not let it be the monster that drag you down, but allow it to be the springboard that will bring you to the embrace of Jesus. And when you feel his embrace, you're going to love him with all your heart. Anxiety of the future. Anxiety about failure. Then there's anxiety about feebleness. This is really the word supposed to be, mean weakness, but I was trying to figure out a word with F, you know, so make you remember it. <laughs> That's really what I mean is weakness. <laughs> I looked up the dictionary, looked up the source. I didn't make it up. I, I, it was, it's, it's the right word. <laughs> that would help. What about fear of our weaknesses? I just shared with the men of the church that one of the greatest hang-ups that we men have <laughs> is our anxiety of revealing our weaknesses. Men particularly are not very good 
at admitting weaknesses. And we joke about men don't ask for directions, and we joke about these things, but really, it's much deeper than that. It really is much deeper than that. But for me, when I begin to think of the Apostle Paul, a great man of strength, a great man of courage, a great man who lived his life shining for Jesus Christ, And yet he could tell the Corinthians, I will gladly boast of my weaknesses. I realize that we got it all wrong. I realize that our culture has sold us a bill of goods. I realize that we have allowed Satan to develop in us a stronghold of prideful arrogance. We have allowed Satan to develop in us a stronghold of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy that Jesus condemned in the life of the Pharisees, a stronghold of pretending. There are people, both men and women, even young men and young women, who are terrified lest someone will discover their weaknesses, lest someone will expose their feebleness, lest someone will find out their Achilles heels, lest someone will divulge their frailty. But I want to tell you something. This type of anxiety is rooted in pride, and there is no virtue in that. Back yonder, when I began to learn this lesson from the Apostle Paul, when I publicly confessed, I am weak in every area of life, that moment was a moment of liberation. That moment became a moment of strength. Do you know why? Because I immediately became a candidate for the supernatural power and the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can be anxious that we might not match up. We can be anxious that we might not, may not meet the standards. We can be anxious that we are not we're not going to receive people's admiration if they really know what we're like. Forget it. God knows what you like, and that's all really that matter. Because the Bible from cover to cover tells us that it is only when you confess your weaknesses to the Lord do you become a candidate for God's strength. Hear me right on this one. Anxiety over the revelation of our weaknesses is Satan's way of creating a stronghold over our lives. The only way to suck it to Satan, that's the only way I know to suck it to him, is to say with the Apostle Paul, it is only when I'm weak do I really know the strength of God. It's a rough translation, but you get the meaning. And you can learn from that. And you can use that time of anxiety over weaknesses to be a time in which you deeply appreciate the strength of the Lord and the power of the Lord and the victory of the Lord that He only gives to men and women who confess their weaknesses. And as you come to know the strength of the Lord, you're going to love Him more deeply. As you come to experience His supernatural strength, your love for Him will be cemented. As you come to deepen 
your love for the Lord, as you come to depend on the supernatural power of the Lord, your love for Him will know no bounds. As you come to live in His supernatural strength, you will know how to adore Him with all of your heart and love Him with all of your heart. When, only when you come to learn the lesson of John the Baptist and saying that He must increase and I must decrease and without fear, Will you understand and receive and experience the supernatural power of God that He wants you to have? Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.